0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Under the Dome, the home of the Houdat Nation. Uh, glad you guys could join us. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about, you know, after the uh, the debacle in Houston. I'm sure we have more than enough people who took all the optimism of training camp and how good the defense looks everything. Now they all are going, the commissioner's got a message for the Saints fans. The Saints are now on the clock. You know, so <laughs> we uh <laughs> I think you'd like that one. We uh we're gonna try and talk some people off the ledge tonight and uh <laughs> and let you know that the season is not lost. Tim Momino will not get Drew Brees killed. He's gonna have help from Andres Pete. No, just kidding. Yeah. Uh he the offensive line isn't as bad as we think uh isn't as bad as it looked but it's pretty bad. So, let's get started on this, but before we get started on the saints stuff, uh I would be remiss if I didn't first off introduce my partner in crime who's killing himself laughing over there. I'm Alan O'Rick <laughs> and my partner in crime is Sean Williams. How you doing tonight, Sean? Uh,
1: well, that's that's a unique uh unique approach to getting the show off with a bang, I think. There you go. Uh, I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Uh, not, I agree. It was kind of anticlimactic to wait all day Saturday for that game, and then to wind up just sitting there going, "Wait a minute! I waited all day for this." Mm-hmm. But, but you know, it is what it is. It's preseason football. Uh, there's, there's a bigger agenda than a score, and uh, I'm not by any means saying that. There is isn't cause for concern, which we'll, we'll get into that in a little more detail in a little while. Um, I just want to let everybody know that uh, I am a writer for ProFootballSpot.com, and you can follow my work as I cover the Saints there on ProFootballSpot.com in the New Orleans Saints Forum. And uh, we want to, at the same time, we want to thank our uh, sponsors fan first productions. Uh, thank you guys for getting behind us here. Um, also something that, uh, I think that we need to do it. Our audience is very important to us. Our, uh, our supporters are very, very important to the show, obviously. And right now there's something that's, uh, that's really serious going on in the, uh, in the who that nation and that being the the floods that have been going on. And there's a lot of people that are in a really bad way. And um, I understand from, uh, you guys follow us. Well, I follow you, you guys too. I know that we have people watching our podcast from Maine all the way to Seattle. And that's really an awesome thought. But at the same time, there's a lot of people across this country that because of the mainstream media's lack of following the story or they don't get any further behind the story than just what makes a splash when it happens. Uh, They're not telling the story now as it needs to be told. They're not following the story as it needs to be followed. And... um. if there's anyone out there that would like to donate any uh, any money to the relief efforts of the Louisiana floods, you can text "LA Floods" to nine zero nine 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 to make a ten dollar donation to the Louisiana flood relief. And I, Alan, am I remembering correctly that that's through the Red Cross?
0: Yes, yes, I okay. believe that is the case. Uh, listen, this is this is how real, is, real this is. Uh, I read a story that uh, about 109,000 out of 130,000 people in the Denham Springs area alone lost everything. Sure. That is a staggering number when you think about it. And uh, I was in a semi-debate with somebody on Facebook uh, a little bit ago. About you know the magnitude of this this tragedy, comparing it a bit to Katrina, but just how the media treats this story because it's small towns because it's towns like Honorville, like Abbeyville, like uh Maurice, like Denham springs, Baker Zachary, Baton Rouge, because it's cities like that, and not a city like New Orleans or San Francisco or New York um The media just kind of says, oh, it was a flood. Yeah, the water's receding, but people are just going to have to start rebuilding. They don't show, you know, just the magnitude of taking everything that you own and putting it out on the curb because it's been destroyed. Um, You know, some people who fled to Denham Springs because of Katrina uh, are living this nightmare all over again. You know, 11 years ago, almost to the day, uh, you know, people were doing that. And to have to go through that again is just unbelievable. So please, if you can't donate money, you can't donate goods, please just donate your time. Uh, help them. I've got several friends who did lose everything uh, in the Lafayette area and in the Baton Rouge area. And, uh, you know, just just the, uh, the cleanup. is just unbelievable, you know. So please, please, if you can't, if you if, if just donate something to help these people. If you can't be there, donate money, donate clothes, donate cleaning stuff. That's the kind of stuff they need right now. And um, there's
1: there should there uh, especially within the state of Louisiana, there are any number of places where you can donate uh, food, supplies, clothing, anything. Uh, I apologize for, for not having something like that to share with you guys. But f- if you will follow, I will see what I can do about uh, getting some of that information and putting it on our Facebook page.
0: There you go. There you go. Uh, so please, please, please donate. Please donate. Um, okay, the a more optimistic story, believe it or not, let's look at the New England game. Uh, no one got seriously hurt. There's a positive. No one got seriously hurt. Uh, in all honesty, look, you know, Sean Payton, yes, he wants to win these games, but he also set, treated this game for some important evaluations. He sat down Cooks. He sat down, uh, Snead. Um, he wanted, this was a chance for Coleman to shine this was a chance for Murphy to make up for some of the mistakes he made in the new England game. This was a chance for his offensive line that what he, who he thinks are going to be the starters to come out and try and play together as a unit. Uh, this was also the first game that, you know, Nick Fairley is going to have to step up and make a, make a, make a press his presence known because of the Sheldon Rankin's injury. And, you know, with the release of Keenan Lewis, uh, and we're going to talk more about both of those uh, with the release of Keenan Lewis, this was a chance for the new secondary. And that means PJ Williams, Damian Swan, uh, Devonte Harris, and even Ken Crawley to show that the saints did make the right decision by releasing Lewis and these young guys ready to step up. How well that happened <laughs> depends on, uh, on what you want. To, yeah. What you want to focus on.
1: Look, I, I, while on one hand, uh, there were a lot of things <sighs> that people can get hung up on and really, really be negative about. And I well, the mean, offense was terrible.
0: The offense was terrible. There's, anytime, there's nobody sugarcoat that.
1: Anytime that you have your ones and twos and Drew Brees, and you can manage fifty-seven yards of offense in a half, that that's cause for concern to say the yeah. very least. Yeah. Um, I think that some of the concerns on the offensive line are very, very well justified. But now I, I take a, I guess I'm taking a different stand on it than most. Um, I think that before we hit the condition critical button. I think I'm going to reserve my judgment for uh, probably this, this Friday night against Pittsburgh when the starting five, which if you think about it, in over two preseason games, the actual guys that have been named as the starting five across that offensive front, with the exception of maybe two or three series at most, really haven't worked together. And on top of – added to that, especially in terms of the ground game, how much of our offense is predicated behind Teron Armstead? And he's been in for two series out of two preseason games. I'm not ready to hit the panic switch by any – panic button by any means just yet. I do – I do think that there's cause there for concern. Uh, but at the same time, as I said in my article this week, I do absolutely believe that we have the personnel to win with. Uh, It's not going to be by by any stretch of the imagination. The way that they played against Houston isn't going to get it done, and that's from Drew Brees down to the last string whatever that came into that game. Now they, they got some continuity established in the second half with the reserves and the guys that are fighting for roster spots. Uh, as far as that goes, I'm still, uh, really and truly, I'm disappointed in Luke McCown's performance again. Uh, he's in my opinion, he's struggling mightily with his accuracy. He's inconsistent with his, with his throws to receivers. Uh, add to that, uh, two guys that I think have one foot out the door with their bags packed and their bus tickets ready in Brandon Coleman and Marcus Murphy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was plenty to be disappointed and frustrated with with the Houston game. Absolutely.
0: Look, the first thing for me is we're turning the ball over way too much. We turned it over five times, I think, between two games. Um, you're not going to win any football games, turning the ball. when we talked about that last week. Uh, one of the turnovers that they overturned that should have been a fumble was that Coleman play. Look, you hit this beautiful pass right down that seam, split the safeties. Coleman's right there, grabs the ball. Uh, they, he takes a hit on the hip, not even up high, not a hat on the ball. He's got the ball down here, takes a hit on the hip. Ball goes out flying, you know. That's a turnover. Now, they sure. overturned it, but it was still on a third down play, so it killed the drive. Uh, sure. If Coleman holds onto that ball like he should, it's first and ten in the red zone, you have a totally different ball game. So – and then – the Saints defense comes out for three and out, punts the ball. The Texans punt the ball to, the, uh, to Murphy. He puts the ball on the ground. Texans score off of that turnover. So there you go. There are two turnovers right there, one that counted, one that didn't. But two turnovers that really dictated the shape of that game. Sure. With the starters from the get-go. And that's before we got into, you know, the bad offensive line play, the mugging of Michael Thomas that resulted in a Drew Brees interception, um, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. Um. I kind, so yeah, I think I kind of oh, go ahead.
1: I kind of thought that that balanced out because the Coleman play, uh, mm-hmm. that was a fumble. Uh, I don't care what yeah, they it was called a it. it was
0: and,
1: a as you called it, the mugging of Michael Thomas. Uh, they didn't call that. I think they just uh, they made up. They did a makeup.
0: <laughs> yeah. Up no well, but what I'm saying though, in the context of when those plays happened. Yeah, really shape the outcome of the game because if the Texans go three and out, we punt the ball. Even if we go three and out, it's still a zero zero game.
1: Sure,
0: the next drive is the you know the drive with the Coleman fumble that we ended up punting out of. You know, it, it changed the whole it, complexion of the game. And even for a preseason game, where your starters are only going to get a limited amount of time, um, you know, it it gave the impression that. The Texans came to play to hit, and the Saints weren't weren't set for that. And it didn't sound like they had that great of a practice week anyway with the Texans, and that carried over to the game, which was sure. probably the other thing that uh, frustrated Peyton to no end. Um, but not, yeah. that
1: I, not that I put any uh, real stock in it, but as I understand it, the team has had serious up to and I mean even up to the practice today, guys with uh, heat cramps. They're having a problem yeah. adjusting to the climate. If, if that's that big an issue, then uh, we need to leave the Greenbrier. We need to <laughs> practice. Yeah, you know. But in more ways than even what you've just discussed, the, the very Whoa. first uh, fumble Marcus Murphy made mm-hmm. changed the dynamic of the game because as, as best as I could tell, they wanted to see Murphy in that backfield. And when he put the ball yeah. on the ground, that took him completely out of everything.
0: When Sean Payton that- calls you out in the beginning of the press conference, he calls you out. Uh, doesn't say your name, but everyone knows who he's talking about. That's not good. Uh, and then have Coleman, and a reporter asked a question about Coleman, and he says, you see it happen, you see it going on. You know, I don't remember how exactly he phrased it, but you know, it basically is Coleman's practicing the way you saw him play tonight. And that's just not good enough. You know, yeah. and I, I it's gonna be interesting to see how much playing time he gets Thursday uh, this Friday night, because if he doesn't come out to the to the third string, the Scrubs, doesn't show up yeah. in the fourth quarter, he's not gonna make the team. And well,
1: I'll I will be honest with you, as far as I'm concerned, and uh, you know, the, the, the guys that we chat with uh <clears throat> Yeah when the moment that that play happened I said you guys Coleman just got cut and I sincerely believe that and even uh, following some of the comments on during practice today Coleman dropped uh, a few balls in practice today uh, he,
0: it, Peyton said it he says you see it happen you see it happen it keeps happening in practice and showing up in the games now and it's yeah. what you, he is what you, he is who you thought he was you know he doesn't use his body. As a physical receiver. You know, he's six six. His he's got a vertical leap of about an inch, you know, so he has no leaping ability. He doesn't box out, doesn't use full extension of the arms, doesn't go out you know, doesn't use his size. And here you got a kid, Tommy Tommy Lee Lewis, who's five seven, and he is jumping, diving for the balls, trying to do everything he can, and his biggest drawback is you're five seven. Yeah. At best, if you jump, you might get to six two, six three, which a defensive back can jump over. That you know, so it. I like Tommy Lewis. I think he has a good shot of making the team, especially he can fulfill that return role that uh, that Murphy's trying to give away. Yeah. Um, but the question will be: at five seven, how effective of a receiver will he be? Or will yeah. he only be a return guy? And that's where that's the only reason why I'm not saying, yeah, he's a make. He's he's a he's a lock for the roster. That uh, it's just it's it's tricky when it comes to that. Yeah, you know the last and Col-
1: the last receiver that I remember of that stature goes back to what Henry Ellard. Uh, the the no Ellard was
0: taller than that. Um, not much. A receiver that short. The receiver guy, five seven. There was a
1: guy for the the skins during Theismann's
0: play, I think. Oh, that's uh, you're going back to uh, the little monkey. Uh, no, not not, not not the not the not the Smurf, not the Smurfs. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah,
1: that was them, the Smurfs.
0: Ricky Sanders and uh, and the uh, yeah, the fun bunch, the fun bunch. Yeah, no, I was thinking about the one in Howard Cosell called the little monkey. Uh, not Art Monk either. Uh, I'm have to go back and go back and think who that is now. It's Charlie something. I, I I'd have to Google his name again because I I do remember who that was. But yeah, the Smurfs, uh, the Redskins of the early '80s. Yeah, I do yeah. remember that. But I don't remember any of them being I mean, five seven, maybe five ten or five nine, but not that short. Well, but uh, the
1: point being, um, I to be honest, I I don't see any way that. Uh, well, both ways. I don't see – just personally, I don't see Coleman. He may survive the 75-man cut next week, but I yeah. don't see him I, – I don't see him uh, I making even the, the practice squad. But Tommy Lee well, Lewis, I, I, I think, absolutely makes it.
0: You and know – um... You know the, uh, the I don't know if Coleman's even eligible for the practice squad because he was on the active roster all um, all year long uh, from last year, so I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Let's see. Oh, I was just looking up to see who this guy was. They've got the wrong name listed yeah, on here. I know it wasn't Herb Mur- Mulkey. In, 90, in 73. No, he did this thing in 83. All right, I'll find it. I see the videos for it. I just can't find uh, the actual actual uh, receiver for the Redskins. Anyway, going back, uh, on the plus side for that game, and this was what I consider the good, uh, Sheldon Rankins, even though he broke his leg and would be out six weeks, you um, really saw Nick Fairley step it up. You saw, you know, I don't know if he can play the whole game as well as he played in that first quarter and a half that he was out there. But, uh, you know, he really showed why he was a first-round draft pick, why he was a top-five draft pick
1: in that game. You saw out of Sheldon – I mean, out of uh, fairly why the Saints went after him. And the only thing that in the first – first of that game the only thing that stopped him was the rubber pellets on the turf
0: yeah absolutely absolutely I mean you could see that it was a brand new turf I mean everybody was slipping and sliding on it so you could see that well um, you know
1: I, I think it bears I'm not in in terms of an excuse but I think it's worth pointing out that this defense that the offense ran against the Houston defense was very good even without what it's a uh, with what it was the number three defense in the league last year, and they, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they weren't slouches.
0: No, no, but you don't. A, a Sean Payton, Drew Brees offense shouldn't uh, have 57 yards total offense in the first half. Absolutely. That should be that should be the first drive. Uh, and again, going back to what we just said earlier, the tone was changed by those two plays: the sure. fumble by yeah. Murphy. And then, you know, Coleman not holding on to that pass and getting us in the red zone when we could actually run some stuff. Um, Thomas probably makes that catch. Cooks probably makes that catch. Even Sneed probably holds on to that ball. But you need to have these other guys step up. You need to have these other guys make those plays uh, because the – We've talked about this many times, but what makes Sean Payton's offense work is multiple players being able to do multiple things. Not, this is my speed guy, this is my possession guy, this is my, uh, you know, down the seam guy. I want guys that can do all three, you know, and that way I can run multiple plays from the same formation. Uh, When I run out of those kind of weapons, then the offense becomes predictable, which is what you saw in 2014 and a bit of 2015. Um, the other thing that I thought was really good, even though it was bad when you first saw it, was uh, P.J. Williams' play. Uh, he gave sure. up the only touchdown in the game. Um, he didn't look back at the ball. Those are the, those are teachable mistakes. Those are mistakes that you can overcome by learning. And, and, okay, next time I won't make that kind of error. I'll look for the ball next time. You know, uh, And I, I
1: think – I think you saw that to perfectly illustrate the point that you just made. That was Mm -hmm. on, what, their first drive right after the Murphy fumble that he –
0: Yeah, right after the fumble. Yeah, that was a third down. That was third down. I thought for sure they were going to be able to hold him at least to a field goal. But uh, that was third down and a touchdown.
1: And then a quarter later, he turns that – basically the very same play into an interception.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Now, that – showed me a lot as far as PJ Williams goes, because he got up, he got punched in the face. He got up off the, the canvas and mm-hmm. fought back.
0: Yeah. And it makes the release of Keenan Lewis much more palatable for people. Some fans are like, sure. Oh my God, you know, what are we going to do now if, if Williams gets hurt? You know, we're two players away from Corey White, uh, you know, Brian Dixon and and Brandon Brown are back in the secondary kind of kind of players. I mean, you know, not these guys, but those kind of players. Um, but you know, Keenan Lewis was let go, and we've said this in the chats, and I'll mention it here. Uh, Keenan Lewis was let go because it's been Sean Payton even said it. It's been a year and a half since we've seen the Keenan Lewis we saw in 2013. After that 49ers game in 2014 where his knee, like, a, you know, a giant ball. Yeah. Uh, he was never the same player. He, uh, he couldn't finish the season in 2014. 2015, he struggles with injuries. He has a sports hernia and a torn hip. You know, he gets put on IR. Uh, that is a whole year. Okay, because it was like the first or second preseason game where against New England, I think it was, where he really struggled in coverage, and then sure enough, the next day he gets the surgery, and then he comes, he starts this season on the pup list. The day's activated, he makes one practice, and then he strains his abductor muscle, I believe. Yeah. So you know, it's a qu- and then he's saying now, I want, I don't want to go out there and play until I'm one hundred percent well, you know what, you're 30 years old, you're never going to be 100%. Um, you know, it, it's you're always going to be 95%, 90%. Uh, you know, right now he says he's 70 80%. You're never going to be 100% anymore. So you've got to get out there on the field. And what the coaching staff is looking at, as far as the Saints are concerned, is the coaching staff is looking at P.J. Williams, Ken Crawley, Devontae Harris, and Damian Swan – We've got four guys here. We're only going to keep five. You know Devin Bro's got it. He's got his spot. Absolutely. So these four guys i got to choose from, and i got a guy who hasn't practiced in a year, who hasn't done anything for me in a year, and he's 30 years old, I can't evaluate him. So how fair is it for me to make a decision to cut someone like a Devontae Harris or Ken Crawley? who can help me out on special teams as well as a young defensive back I can groom to become that nickel and dime back. How fair is it to those guys that I say, well, you know what? You're competing for a backup spot because we got a spot already reserved for a guy who hasn't practiced yet and can't even show whether or not he can even play for the team for us this year and help us out. So if you look at it from that point of view, the decision is easy. You can't make the club from the tub. You've got That's to get it. out there. You've got to get out there and produce. And Look, he can't do it I, right now.
1: I um even before they released Keenan, someone asked me to evaluate him, and I said, uh, as best as I can tell, the the most of a contribution that I can see Keenan Lewis making at this point for this entire year is to be a situational option. Um, yeah. as far as being the player that he was two years ago when he was basically the only cornerback that we had and he he evaluated I think they said he evaluated in the top corners of the league whatever anyway uh just like you said, if you're not on the field, you're not doing this team any good. I hate that. Um, I really like Keenan Lewis. I like what he brought to this team. I like the contributions that he made to the Saints, but you know, at, like the old Janet Jackson song, "What have you done for me lately?" And this is a very "What have you done for me lately?" Uh, league.
0: You've got it. You've got a young team here. You really do. You're you're in year two of a total rebuilding job, and. I said this a long time ago to my wife um, when we we looked at the roster at the end of the 2013 season. I said, look at that roster, and I bet you in two to three years there will only be maybe three or five names that are still on the team from that team from two or three years ago, from 2013. And sure enough, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing this slow evolution to – now, Harper's come back, but you've seen this slow evolution to an all-new roster. And, you know, Lewis just is not going to be part of that. Um, he had a big cap figure that he probably was never going to see that money in 2017, 2018 anyway. Um, and I like Lewis as well. I mean, I thought Lewis, Keenan Lewis in 2013 probably played at a Pro Bowl level um, – arguably probably one of the top shutdown corners in the league in 2013. The problem is you've got to keep playing that level, you know, and he just didn't because of injuries. And you look at the the sad history of the saints and cornerbacks, he's arguably already one of the top cornerbacks in team history in one year with one year's production. Uh, So, you know, he did a lot of great things, but it's going. it was time to move on. You can't hold sure. on to – if you've got young players who can play just as well as him, you cannot hold on to that. And I, the reason why I'm saying that is because we can go to the ugly now. The ugly, when you talk about this offensive line, people are wondering why is Zach Street still on the team? You know, why haven't we moved on from him yet? Uh you don't have players yet that are good enough to take his place. Andre's Pete is probably your sixth best offensive lineman right now. But we've got to put him in somewhere. Um, he's a first round
1: draft pick. You didn't dra- you didn't spend the first round draft pick for someone you're going to leave on the bench.
0: That's right. not
1: financially stable business.
0: The problem the problem with Pete and I said six best, probably the fifth best. He's probably, he's probably better than Streif. But no one else can play guard, and that's a problem. And we've talked about some of this before. Um, you know, the Saints did try and get guards this offseason. They only really targeted two, and people can criticize them for that. But there was only two guards they thought were really worth going after. The first one being uh, Alex Boone from the 49ers who ended up going over to uh, the Minnesota Vikings. Um, the Saints really went hard after him. And he made the decision to go with the Vikings instead. And we all saw how fast the, the guards went off the board in, uh, in free agency. Uh, by the time the Saints turned their attention to someone else, it's a mistake. You know, I think it's a mistake. You probably should have had two or three you were working on at the same time, but, They really went all out for Boone, hoping that they could convince him to come to the Saints. Uh,
1: It it honestly, it makes me wonder if, you know, there may not have been – on one hand, there may have been a plan in place to pursue more than one, like you were just talking about, or possibly go after someone in the draft. But at the same time, it makes me wonder, you know, you can say what you want about Sean Payton, He's pretty sharp when it comes to personnel and evaluating talent. And-
0: well, you know, people are going to look at the defense and people are going to look at, you know, everyone focuses on the negative. Let's just start from there. Everyone's going to focus on the negative. You know, the, all the bad draft picks they've had since 2011 uh, on defense. You know, guys who just never panned out. Uh, bad free agent signings such as Brandon Browner. And uh, uh, Jarius Bird with his contract and so forth. And, and then they look at trades they made, whether it's the trade uh, for, you know, they trade Darren Sproles away or the trade where they, uh, they send Chris Ivory over to the Jets instead of trading Mark Ingram away, whatever. They're going to focus on those kind of things. But like you said, you know, they do have an eye for talent because, you know, you got a Willie Sneed that came to the team. You know, you have – you've gotten a lot of production out of undrafted free agents uh, that you would have never gotten. uh, Pierre Thomas, you know, and we can go back to the old players and so forth. So, you know, if you're going to criticize them for the bad draft, you also have to give them credit for some of the good finds they got.
1: You know, one of the the things that – I spend a lot of time observing people. I sit back sometimes and I watch these, I guess you could call them super fans that <laughs> that think they're like half a step from being general manager. Uh, and they can tell you at the drop of a hat, everything that Sean Payton has messed up on, everything he, every decision he's made that's wrong and everything that needs to be done to fix it. You know, I don't, In I say that as, comical, but at the same time, I don't think that nearly enough people give Sean Payton the due amount of credit for knowing this team and knowing what needs to be addressed. Now, is that to say that I agree with everything he does? No. Do I I think that everything he does is the answer? No, I don't. But people don't seem to respect the fact that there's no one on this earth that knows this team the way that Peyton does.
0: Look, the uh, he said it over and over again. He let the culture change, and he wanted it back to what it was in 2006. And the way he was going to get that back was to bring in the kind of players that he thought – reflected those core beliefs that he set up way back in 2006 that he kind of moved away from to get players that he thought were more talented or could be more of a splash kind of player or some or have some kind of you know do something that's not the Saints way and I think Brandon Brown is a great example of that Sure Absolutely. you had you went after him because he's got two Super Bowl rings and he's in, he was in that Seattle off-defense. Uh, so he thought he could bring that Seattle, tough-minded, you know, cocky, press, aggressive press coverage kind of defense with bringing in Browner. Not realizing or ignoring the fact that Browner's personality, Browner's reputation as a, you know a player that draws a lot of flags, would work against you. That part of what made Brown good was the talent around him. Sure. And so you so you brought in a guy like that, and then you quickly realized, hey, you know what? We made a mistake. He does not fit in this locker room. There are not the players around him that can kind of smooth over his bad, I guess, aggressive. You know, some say dirty uh, or cheap play, um, I and just make cheap. him. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it was you who was jumping all over uh, Browner for that hit in the Redskins game. You know, where he yeah. targeted that lineman who probably said something to him during the game, and he that he designed exact revenge right there instead of making a play. Yeah, I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying that's yeah, the kind of thing. That's the kind of player he was. That's the kind of player he was. So, so you go- in-
1: the only way you're going to sign Brandon Browner and have him make an impact on this defense is if you allow him to bring Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor with him. And I, I think that's yeah. what you were saying. Uh, well,
0: yeah, you need to have those. kind. You need to have a front seven like what the Seattle Seahawks have sure. to get that pressure on a quarterback so Browner can, can beat up on that receiver. He's a big man. He can sure. beat up on that receiver, mess up the timing, and because the pressure has that quarterback throwing the ball so early And he's disrupted the timing of the play. Now other players can make a play, get the turnovers and everything else like that. And that's where Brown is effective. But he's also now, what, 30, 31 years old, 32 years old. You know, he is not the player he was three years ago. Just like I was saying that about, you know, Keenan Lewis. You know, people forget in the NFL – you know, because we see players like Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and so forth, you know, it's like dog years. You know, a three-year career in the NFL is like 21 years somewhere else, you know, in, right, yeah. in a real job. I mean, your body just can't take that kind of punishment anymore. It's not that hard to lose a step. You're not as quick. You're not as instinctive. You know, so you try and cover it up with, uh, you know, being more of a gambler. Uh, been there, seen that, done that. I'm going to anticipate what the play is going to happen now, and you know, it, it, it's excuse me, and that's kind of where Browner is. Where actually, Browner's past that. Browner's at the point where I'd be surprised makes the Seahawks roster this year. But going back to what we started with earlier, why a player like Andres Pete is a problem is still on the roster. We've got – we don't have guards. Peyton wants to get his best players – well, he thinks they're his best five players on on the field. Streif cannot play guard. So you've got to take Pete and make a guard out of him. And the problem we've seen, at least in the first two preseason games, is he's played left tackle, right guard, and right tackle in three straight games, you know, where they're moving him all over the field. And I think today he said, look, this is where he's going to focus. Now he's going to stay on the right side. And what we're probably going to see in in the Steelers game is he'll play right guard the first quarter and a half, maybe the first half. Then he'll get moved back to right tackle again. You know, and it's the kid's head. He is not that great of an athlete to be playing all those positions because you could see – he's thinking too much about his hand placement, about his feet, about, you know, if you're if you're a guard, you have to keep your hands in, you yeah. know, because you're operating what they call inside a phone booth. When you're a tackle, yeah, you have to keep your hands in, but you have now, it's about your footwork. It's about yeah. being able to, to, you know, take a guy to the outside if he's rushing to the outside. If he's going to try and cut in, you're going to block him into where you have help as a guard. At a guard, and, and whereas a guard really has to operate in this small area, and it's a you know it's about you know, communication with your center, understanding where he's going to go. You know, I think there was one play they showed. I think uh, it was a it was a trap, or maybe it was a sweep where Pete pulled out. He trips over Unger's feet, and he yeah. falls down. You know, yeah. and that's all part of it, and that's the kind of stuff that you know. It makes him look bad. Uh, Very few players got moved around as much as Pete has in these past couple of games to play all these positions, and people think, well, it's just, you know, all it is is if you're left tackle, you got this hand in the dirt, and if you're right tackle, you've this hand in the dirt. That's all it is. It's not that. I think I read one time it's the equivalent of if you're a basketball player and you're a right-handed shooter, you're now trying to shoot your left hand, Uh, when you play opposite sides, you can learn how to do it. But you're not as good as you are as a right-handed shooter. And you've seen a lot of mental mistakes by Pete. And it's resulting in him getting beaten. But it's mental mistakes. It's not him. It's not what you're seeing with Streif. What you're seeing with Streif is you're seeing him physically getting beat up out there. You know,
1: Jarrett Tull just ain't making it very far into the game.
0: No, and, you know, for the life of me, I I, I wonder why have Streif competing strictly as right tackle and – I mean, not Streif, uh, Pete tackle, just leave it at that. Uh, because I don't think he is good enough to play a guard. Uh, I don't I, think he's going to
1: – I don't pretend to, to- – I don't pretend to have a great base of knowledge when it comes to the offensive line because every position I played on the field was everything besides the offensive and defensive line. Uh, But I've heard different uh, schools of thought, one being that Pete isn't fast enough to play a guard. Um, And and I don't know exactly what the answer is. Uh, I do believe – sincerely believe that all of the moving around and shuffling that they've done has absolutely hurt his development this year, because you've got uh, a guy that's in his second year in the league and you're trying to have him learn every position across the front. I, I, that just, when I, I heard, I want to say it was Gus Catengel this morning. He said, the biggest waste of this training camp has been putting Pete at left tackle when Armstead was left out. tackle. He's, right. Yeah. He's,
0: it, he was, it, was, it, was, it was. It was. It was. It was. It's the
1: biggest waste in the world. Your quarterback is wearing a red jersey. Why do yep. you have him over there wasting his time? The yep. only position that's going to matter for Andres Pete. On September the 11th, when we line up against Oakland, is right guard. I don't – for the life of me, I I think you've wasted a lot of time and effort. I really do.
0: It was. It was. You could have just simply put Tony Hills out there at left tackle and let him and Calamante play left tackle uh, those couple weeks while, uh, while Armstead was out. Um, it was a waste of time. You, they wanted to do this cross-training thing, but it doesn't work that way on an offensive line. Uh, Willie Rofe, when he started out, I was right tackle, okay, for the Saints, and they moved him to left tackle, and that was it. That was the only two places he played. You know, uh, Stan Brock started out as a right tackle. They moved him to left tackle, and they moved him back to right tackle because he was a better right tackle than he was a left tackle. Um, Jim Dombrowski started out as a left tackle. They moved him to guard, and he stayed at guard. Okay? So, putting a guy in different positions where you're trying to plug up holes, and that's what it looked like they were trying to do is plug up holes. Sure. Um, you know, it, it doesn't – it's not going to work because all you've done now is made him a jack of all trades, master of none. OK, and I guess they thought that would that would help his development. I don't know. I guess because he looks so good out there as, you know, blocking one on one on a blocking sled. They said, oh, we could put him anywhere. He could fit anywhere. He really needs to stick with one position. Uh, and if your intention was the whole season to play him at right guard, then you start on day one. This is the position you're going to play. You have to learn how to play right guard. You have to keep working that right guard until you master the position. Okay? And they didn't do that. So, And we're seeing that. That is part of the reason why the offensive line looks so bad. Um, And Streif is only as good as he's going to be if he's going up against a mauler. Okay? If he's going up against somebody physical, he's good. He can handle that. If he's going up against somebody who's quick, or somebody who, is a, who has a good outside burst or a good move, he is too slow, and he just does not have the recovery to make up for a guy who's going to blow past him and it's going to be a problem all the time. Uh, Melito it is what it is with him. Um, he's an undrafted free agent, and he plays like an undrafted free agent. Um, I think I saw it today, they said, Calamente is probably my guard when it's a warm weather game. Melito's going to be my guard when it's a cold weather game. In other words, Molito, if I want to run, I'm going to run behind him. He can He's a run blocker. He cannot pass block to save his life. Calamante is my pass blocker. You know, he cannot run block. You know, so that's a problem. You can't have that in an offensive line. You have to have an offensive line to do both. And that's all <coughs> part and parcel – of why the line looked so bad, you know, last uh, Saturday night. You've got so much. And that's why Sean was saying today, it's not doom and gloom can get this to work. You know, these guys have to get back to working together and get used to playing their positions. But, you know, that's why it looks so bad. It looked like five guys who've never practiced together got thrown in and, all right, go. You guys know how to play? Go. And it just can't happen that way. It's like a band, you know. You go throw a guitarist, a drummer, a bass player, and a singer out on a stage and say, "Okay, you guys know to play music. Uh, Stop playing some songs. Stop playing some ZZ Top. Stop playing some Van Halen. It's going to sound like shit because these guys haven't worked together. They may know the songs, they don't know the timing and all that stuff. You know all the things it takes. Why you practice music together? Why you practice as a group? You know you need to have that, and they just haven't had that." And it looks worse than it really is. So that's my way of talking people off the ledge.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope we did a good job because uh, coming up this Friday night at 7 o'clock, Dome sweet home, baby. We're coming home to the Dome. Uh, Yes. We'll face the Pittsburgh Steelers at home in what the NFL has come to refer to as dress rehearsal for the season opener. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are you looking for in terms of this game Friday night?
0: I think you're going to see the closest you're going to see to a real game uh, Friday night. And I don't know if that's going to be good or bad, but I think you're going to see a lot of passing early. I think the idea is to get them in the end zone quickly, get these guys, get a lot of you know, um, enthusiasm behind whatever crowd shows up for a preseason game, make this team taste a lot of success early in the dome. Uh, I would not be surprised to see breeze hitting cooks, Thomas Snead Fleener all early in the game and trying to get a couple quick touchdowns. And you're going to see some blitzing from the defense. Um, the third preseason game has traditionally been the one that, uh, you saw – you can kind of see how the season's going to go based on how they play in that game. Um, you know, I was thinking about the 2009 game when they played the Raiders in Oakland. Uh, that was – that's where you really saw this team's going to be pretty special because they came out and just kicked Oakland's ass up and down that field. Jamarcus Russell – Never stood a chance, um, and he was bad as it was. But, I mean, you know, they really came out there and took it to him for a preseason game. And uh, the last time they won a game, preseason game, was the third preseason game last year against the Colts, you know. yeah. So the third preseason game is the game where the Saints really try and show what they can do if they play that like crap in that game then we have some – you know, that's going to be – it's going to be hard for me to talk you off the ledge. I'm to have to do total Mel Gibson, handcuff you and, and jump off the <laughs> building with you a la Lethal Weapon. Uh, you know, that's the only way that's going to work.
1: Yeah, but, if, uh, if they don't play well Friday night, just push me off the ledge and let's start over. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. I, I don't know about the running game. I, I really don't know. Uh, I, you know, they want to get some success. This is something that's interesting to watch for them. How much does Hightower play? Um, we've all been pretty much assuming that Hightower is going to make the team, uh, and I still think he will. But it's obvious that Lasko, we've assumed he's competing for that fourth running back job with Murphy. But I think Lasco is also competing with Hightower to an extent for that power back, that guy they're going to put in, a la Mike Bell, if you've got a nice lead, now you're going to put the punishing runner with fresh legs against your defense to try and run the clock out. And I think they want to see if Lasco can do that because that would sort of be the idea you'd have with Hightower. This is who Hightower – this is the position Hightower is going to be in. But I don't know if – I don't think Lasco's is that, that kind of back yet. I think it would be dumb to let Hightower go right now. But if you're thinking about the final 53, and you're going through your head, going, "Okay, do I want to keep 10 defensive backs, or I want to keep 11? Um, do I, you know, who can play on special teams? Hightower's got problems with pass blocking, um, so that's something to watch. Let's see what Hightower does in this game. How much play Hightower gets, or where does he come in the, in the game? Um, that's something to out- say.
1: To be honest with you, uh, while I have always been one of those that you were just talking about that just automatically assumed based on last year that Hightower was going to, was a shoe in for the final 53. If, um, uh, drawing a blind. Lascaux?
0: Lascaux?
1: No. Uh, uh, Buff- sp- Buffalo Spiller. 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 <laughs> if okay. Spiller. If Spiller falls in there and suddenly turns out to be everything everything that they've ex- anticipated him being over the course of the season last year, That automat- in my mind, that automatically puts Hightower on the bubble.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I see Spiller and he playing a totally different position as far as what their role in the offense. I, I really think Hightower is there to spell Ingram and to yeah. be that kind of uh, – that power back and, you know, Kuhn is going to be the short yardage guy again, because I assume Kuhn's going to make the team, you know, so where, where does Hightower fit in this group now? And again, it's just something to watch. It's not, I'm not making a prediction that someone's going to beat somebody else out for a job. Oh, sure. It's just something sure. to watch. I understand. Um, you know, uh has been having off and on practices, so we have to see how that goes too. Um,
1: Fleener, wow. from from all indications, Fleener is really, really struggling to to this offense. He, and you would be
0: you're surprised because that's a Stanford guy. He's supposed to be a smart guy, so he should yeah. be able to grasp the offense. Can't be that complicated, you know. You're running a nine route, you know. You're arguably
1: the two biggest, arguably uh, the two biggest letdowns thus far. Uh, Fleener, and Pete. Both are Stanford guys.
0: What's the deal? Yeah. You know. Smart. I know. I know. (laughs) (sighs) Well, okay. Well, you know.
1: Let me me get you a new segment we're going to start doing uh, called Three Up, Three Down. Uh, I want you to give me three players that you consider to have played their way past that first roster cut which is coming on – no, August 30th, the first roster cuts when we have to go down to the 75-man roster. Give me three Mm -hmm. players that you feel like have played their way past that cut. And and not Uh, the obvious ones.
0: I mean, we talked about it. Um, Your three down, you know, my three down first off be Lolito, Coleman, and Murphy – uh, we've kind of talked about all three of them, Coleman and Murphy, especially, you know, they're fighting for their NFL careers. Well, Nito, just because here's a guy that you knew this is who you have to rely on to, uh, to, to be a starter. And he is not taking that next step. And the fact they only went after two guards, uh, Joshua Garrett, another Stanford guy, uh, the fact that did not get him, uh, you know, you're showing enough faith in Lolito that he should have stepped up now to, st- to take that left guard spot, and he just hasn't done it. Uh, my three-up, fairly, you know, obviously based on the way he played, and we talked about the other two, uh, Devontae Harris, who said he had a boring night because uh, nobody threw his way in, in Houston, and P.J. Williams. You know, again, going back to what we said by Keenan Lewis, guys like – Devontae Harris and PJ Williams are showing you why the saints made the move they did to, uh, to let Lewis go. Uh, so that's my three up and three down. Okay.
1: My, uh, my three up are, uh, PJ Williams, who I think showed a lot of, uh, a lot of talent and ability in the Houston game and, and showed a lot of guts getting up and, uh, turning it around on, them, on the, the Texans the way that he did. Also, wide receiver Tommy Lee Lewis, uh, yeah. as you said, he's, he's more than like, – the biggest knock on Lewis is something that he has absolutely no control over, but in my opinion, he's going to make it at least down to the the last cuts on the September the 3rd, if not beyond. Yeah. And uh, at this point right now, I see Tommy Lee Lewis making the squad ahead of a Brandon Coleman. And also uh Daniel Lasco, running back. Uh yeah. he's uh he's running too hard. He's playing special teams. Uh given every opportunity that they're taking to put the guy on the field and get him some reps, I right now I see him making it at least beyond the seventy five man cut. My three down are just the same as what you said. Uh, Coleman, Murphy, and uh, Lolito. Yeah. Lolito, I don't know if he's capable of being the guard that they want him to be. He's an adequate uh, backup. Uh, Coleman, you're talking about a guy that Sean Payton did everything but hand him the keys to the kingdom. And he has done absolutely nothing to reach up and grab it and take hold of it. Uh, Murphy he's the incumbent, uh, special teams returner. Uh, I, I, I look for Lewis to take that at least for the moment, unless Murphy is able to do something incredible. And in the last two games, uh, You don't, like you said earlier, for a Sean Payton team, you don't put the ball on the ground. That's the quickest way to get in his doghouse with no possibility of ever getting out. That someone else screws up worse than you do, and he has no choice but to punish him more than he's punishing you.
0: Well, and this is the last, you know, we, we kinda of have to wrap it up now, but the last thing I'm gonna say is, you know, there's a lot of rumors right now that the Saints are gonna make a trade for a guard uh to replace Alito. Uh you know, Leary uh from the Cowboys is a popular name. Um, you know, you have to think though, what would you have to give up for a guy like Leary? You know, it's a it's a seller's market right now. Uh they can the Cowboys know you need something. They can dictate how much you want to pay. And is he worth a third-round pick or a fourth-round pick? Um, Because fans are saying right now, oh, yeah, 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 give that up. You know, that's fine. That's fine. And then come next year, you know, when we're looking at the draft and we're looking at holes that need to be filled because of free agency and all the roster changes and the things that you need to do, then people start saying, well, look, you know, man, we wasted a draft pick getting, you know, this guy. I end up away from him too. You know. Dallas has not given up a Pro Bowl guard. You know, we might get somebody who's halfway decent, but he's not a Pro Bowl guard. So let's just see what happens. They may look at people coming out the final cuts, you know, and you may get a guard there. So and then there's always the possibility that you know, we could have. I've seen enough moment, and someone like Landon Turner could come in midway through the season. We don't know, so you know, I think that the offensive line is still going to be something that's going to be in transition for a while on this team.
1: Personally, um, I I do believe that we are ultimately looking at playing with what we have.
0: Right I, now. I I would be surprised if if we make a trade and not putting out the realm of possibility We may make a trade with somebody and get a guard that, you know, you have to Google his name to find out who the hell he is. Uh, so it, it, who knows, who knows? I just, I felt like we should mention at least the, the, the Leary. Uh, yeah. Conversation because I've heard his name more this week than I have any other week uh, outside yeah. of our free agency. So. Well, one
1: thing you have to think about also in turn real quickly uh, in terms of Leary you're you need to look at the reality of the situation you're going to you're going to say they pull the trigger on this trade tomorrow mm-hmm. you're looking at possibly getting leary in your locker room by the end of the week and you're wanting him to learn your playbook you're wanting him to mesh with your starters you already have and create a chemistry in 2 weeks to be ready for the Oakland game i'm not saying that it's impossible but it's, uh, it's long odds
0: at best. It's a challenge, but, you know, two years – or 2006, we, uh, we made the trade for Scott Shanley, and uh, he was your starting middle linebacker for week one against uh, the Cleveland Browns. So, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's not the same as offensive line, but it's still a possibility. Um, anyway, yeah, this Saturday night – I mean, this Friday night is the uh, Steelers game, so it's black and yellow against black and gold – uh, we'll see what kind of production they have, and speaking of the season starting, we're going to try and have a kickoff special, right, Sean?
1: That's right, uh, Saturday, September the 10th, the night before opening day, what we are planning right now to be a two-hour program uh, with several special guests that we're not going to reveal just yet. Uh, well,
0: because they haven't agreed to showing up on the show yet. No, just kidding. But uh, <laughs> you're going to have to listen to my awful accent and look at me for two hours if you can stomach it. But we're going to try and preview everything um, about the upcoming Saints season, kind of do a game-by-game breakdown, uh, and also the NFC South, our predictions of the Super Bowl, uh, who we think is going to uh, represent the NFC and the AFC, so it should be a really good show. I uh, hope you stick Spoiler with this. Al- uh,
1: Spoiler alert, mine will not be Jacksonville.
0: <laughs> yeah, it will not be a Browns, um, uh, Redskins Super Bowl. No, I don't think that will happen. No, uh, the
1: Redskins will never make it.
0: No, no. Okay, so Real that's quick- going to be coming up. Oh, go ahead.
1: Real quick, uh, something I forgot to do earlier. For all of our Followers, fans, people um, on iTunes, just search the Under the Dome. Uh, Absolutely. Also, I want to wish a very happy birthday to uh, Miss Ethel Williams, a uh, big part of my life. Love you. Happy birthday. Also, to one of our really good friends, Matthew Stanford. Hope you have a great day, or hope y'all had a great day today. I uh, wish you a very happy birthday.
0: Absolutely. Happy birthday to both of y'all. Um, and uh, that's our show for this for tonight. Uh, join us next week as we break down the Steelers game, uh, and we'll go through the first roster cut. will be right after the Steelers game, so probably by the time we go on the air next Tuesday, we will have already seen the roster go down from 90 to 75 players, so we could talk about the guys that were cut, who we think may come back to the practice squad, and, so, and who are the guys that we think are going to be fighting for their jobs in the last preseason game. So join us then on Under the Dome. Good night, everybody.
1: Good night. We hope to see you guys Under the Dome.